You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. It was extremely good to be back. Uh, I want to catch you up in the weeks to come about some of the things that took place in our life the last month. But uh, just to kind of give you a summary of some things, Jenny and I got to escape with no kids for several days. Uh, that was incredible. Uh, I got together with some friends to go to the Charleston area. Uh, and the place that we went actually lets you have a fire on the beach. So that was kind of great. Um, uh, we had a family trip that we went out west. And uh, that was centered around a church and then an escape uh, to a place with no cell service and no Wi-Fi. And that's right up my alley. On the way back, Jenny got stuck in security trying to sneak a knife with a sheath. Uh, through, through airport security. Y'all can have a talk with her about that later. Um, uh, it was uh, special. It happens every time. <laughs> Something like that happens every time. Um, and then I just spent so much time with my fam. Uh, you know, I, I can't thank you guys enough for gifting uh, a month off to me. The last one I had was in uh, 2018. And it just so happened in the middle of that is when Jenny was diagnosed. And uh, in the middle of that month as well, um, a transition was announced for the next pastor. And so that sabbatical really didn't feel like much of a sabbatical, and this one did. So I uh, can't thank you guys enough. I also can't thank the staff enough, uh, the guys that taught, um, the teams that made decisions, the people that led. Just just incredible, and I was literally able to turn off. And because of that, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, this series ahead for the next few weeks entitled All In. I, I want to spend time talking about how to get where God wants you to be. Uh, specifically, how do I get where God wants me to be? I want to start kind of strange, something unexpected, uh, by showing you a picture. A uh, show of hands, anybody recognize this dude? All right, I picked a good one. I didn't either as I looked at this one. I wanted to pick one that you didn't. Maybe you'll recognize this picture, a little bit more current. All right, there you go. How many in here have been to a James Taylor concert? Show of hands. I've been to about five or six. He's one of my faves. Um, one of the reasons I like him so much, obviously the music, uh, but as well, when I go to a concert with James, uh, like I'm buddies, uh, I sit there, and I notice the guy gives it everything he's got. Uh, just in June, he had a concert in which he had a set list of 44 songs. Still going. Uh, when it comes to James Taylor concerts, there will be a moment that some of the band takes a break, but James doesn't take a break. He stays up there, continues to give it everything he's got by himself with an acoustic set. Um, you got to understand, James is now 75 years old. It's one of those guys that continues to give it everything he's got again and again, over and over. It's 50 years, and he's going strong. The reason I am fascinated with guys like him is because it's one thing to just show up physically. It's a completely different thing to show up and give your best emotionally, relationally, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a representative of Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the challenges that all of us will face is slowly getting overwhelmed and drained to the point where your soul is going through some damage. You know, I've talked about this principle before, and I want to highlight it again. One of our 
greatest impacts is made by doing the same thing with the same people in the same place again and again and again. Let's talk to school-aged parents, parents of school-aged kids. What do you do on Monday morning? It's back in the swing of this, right? Uh, You wake them up, you get them dressed, give them something to eat, and you send them to school. That's just the first part on Monday. What's Tuesday look like? Uh, About the same as Monday, right? You wake them up, you get them dressed, get them some food, and you take them to school. And that happens over and over again and again. It's life on repeat. Um, Or or perhaps, let's say we've got some some coaches in here. On behalf of the coaches, uh, part of your job is to mold the character of a student-athlete. Doesn't matter the sport, it's still practically the same. And guess what? You're doing the same drills over and over again and again, week after week, month after month. And you look at last year, same drills as this year. Sameness is part of the program. So I want to say it again, and I want you to think about the thing that you do. Often our greatest impact is made by doing the same thing with the same people, the same place, again and again and again. Now think deep on that about you, your life, your stage of life. What your week looks like, who you're with, where you're at. Consider these words. It's redundant. It's routine. It's repetitious. It's powerful. It is life-giving. But you ready? It can also be exhausting. I want you to consider this. The very activity associated with your greatest effectiveness can also lead to your greatest exhaustion. Because it's over and over and over. It's again and again and again. So I want us to talk about this. It's something that, that I spent some time examining for myself in the past month, answering the question, how do you refill an empty tank? It's one of the big things that I chose to dwell on in the month of July. I've even read books on this topic. Here's why. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a husband that loves Jesus, as a dad that loves Jesus, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a leader, as a friend, Consider this, I am responsible for pouring my life into others. As a follower of Jesus, everyone in this room is too. And since that's the case, I want us to consider this. Since we're all responsible for pouring our lives into others, we better get good at filling ourselves back up. Because we're consistently emptying ourselves. I want to read a proverb that that lays a framework for, for how we discuss this issue on behalf of taking care of our soul. Proverbs 10, verse 5. This is a wisdom literature from the Old Testament. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son. Like he's wise, he's disciplined. But he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. You can't help but wonder, why in the world would anyone sleep during harvest? Here's what I think. Because maybe they're really, really tired. You see, in today's culture, we can't help but think of harvest a little bit different. Uh, In today's culture, we use one of these. Now, if you've been in one of these as of late, they've changed over time. Uh, They have air conditioning. They have speakers and sound systems. They have very comfortable seats, but in the first century. Understand that this is not the case at all. Back in the Bible times, they would use one of these. People still use sickles today. I believe I've got one at the house that sometimes I take care of some weeds. But if you think about a sickle in biblical times, consider the posture of someone that was using it. Consider um, the fact that there is a whole lot of bending, a lot of bending over. It's like nonstop squats in the hot sun. 
And cutting the grain was just step one of the process. Step two involved carrying the grain to this spot. This is a threshing floor. This is where the kernels would be separated. Additionally, someone was separating it by using one of these. Um, They would use a threshing board. They would pound rocks into the threshing board. They would take an oxen or a donkey, and they would drag it round and round the, the circle with the grain, and the rocks would separate the grain from the chaff. But they're still not done. They would take a pitchfork, and they would pick up the grain and the chaff, and they would toss it into the air, and the wind would separate the two. You do it a few hundred times, and you got a pile of grain. Some are thinking, well, now you can go home. Not really. Especially when you read the Old Testament, you find out when people did this, what would they do? They'd often sleep beside the grain because other people were coming to steal it. And you would do this over and over and over. Again and again and again. Common sense will tell you the very activity associated with their greatest effectiveness can also lead to the greatest exhaustion. So on behalf of taking care of your soul... I want you to think about this image. When you look at this, I hope you consider your life, an aspect of your life that perhaps has bled into other areas of your life. And I think you would agree. When you pour yourself into others, periodically you find yourself drained. Is anyone tired? You find yourself drained? You know, uh, we celebrate 25 years this week of being on staff here. Someone gave me a hard time. I didn't know you started when you were 10. Uh, I started at 21, and I'm 46. And on behalf of those 25 years, there have been challenging situations, difficult decisions, uh, difficult presentations, and, believe it or not, difficult people. Uh, The pace, the pattern, the habits that I had developed and slowly let sneak into my life Understand that the work that I was doing for God, the way I was doing the work for God, was destroying the work of God in me. Because I was tired and exhausted. So when July came, I asked myself this question. How do I continue to bring my best again and again and again, over and over and over? How do I make it the long haul? This is not something just for me. It's for all of you. Like, let me pick on the doctors for a second. Um, If you're a doctor in this room, I did some research. You see patients. On average, it depends on your your path, but typically it's 20 patients a day on average. That's five days a week. It's 100 patients. I'm sorry, that's five days a week, 100 patients a week. That's 400 a month. Build in some vacation time. So on a given year, understand that that's about 4,400. After 25 years, that's 110,000 times a doctor is asked. So what seems to be your challenge today? Over and over and over, again and again and again. What I want to do is I want us to think about, man, when I'm empty, how do I get full? When I'm pouring myself into others, how do I fill myself back up? When I'm tired and exhausted, is there anything to do? And today what I want to do is I want to talk about gifts that God gives all of us, every person in this room. When we're tired and exhausted and drained. Gifts that God gives for a rested soul. I want to think about this image. 
looking at this image, you can't help but, but think on behalf of this guy. Remember, the wise son is diligent. He works hard. He's disciplined. Work has to be done day after day. But guess what? On Saturday, this guy sleeps in. On Saturday, this guy puts the sickle down. Gift number one that God gives every person in this room is a day of rest. It's called a Sabbath. I'm thankful for a month gift of Sabbath called a sabbatical. It's what God gives to refill an empty tank, to take care of a soul, to give us rest. And by the way, this premise is not just buried deep in the Bible. No, it's one of the top ten. God tells us, I don't want you to take one day off every week. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 13, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. There's something about that verse that ought to make everyone in this room love God, right? It's built in. Everyone gets a day of rest to break up a week of work. Like from God's point of view, here's what he's telling us. Go, 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 go. Stop. It's what he's given us to take care of our souls. The word Sabbath literally means to cease, to stop, to put the sickle down. For me, my Sabbath day might look quite different from yours. For, for me, it's often, it often starts on a Wednesday afternoon. Sometimes it's a Thursday. Um, but on those days, let me tell you something. I've decided that this day's effectiveness will not be measured by how much I do. That's what a Sabbath looks like. In simpler terms, it's a day that I get to rather than a day that I have to. So I get to go to the river. I get to play golf, grill, perhaps take a nap, watch a movie or a show. I get to take a walk and not necessarily a run. I get to listen to music. I get to take an unrushed evening with my family when the weather's right, around a fire, but this time of year, around several fans. I get to take time to draw. I get time to take a book and read it with no agenda. On a day of rest, a Sabbath rest for me, it's me taking time that God's gifted me with this day to fill myself up when I'm empty or poured out. I want to give you a challenge on behalf of the day that God has given you, whatever the day is. Don't get to a day of rest, your day of rest, and simply swap to-do lists. Meaning there's work to-do lists, there's home to-do lists. No, on a day of rest that you've built in, have no to-do list. You say, well, what do I do? Well, what you do is try the best you can to build home to-do lists and work to-do lists in on the same day. Because on those days, trust me, you will be really, really tired. And you catch up on the day of rest. The goal for your day of rest and my day of rest is there, there's nowhere I have to go. There's nothing that I have to do. Instead, this is a day of get-tos. And this is a day that God has gifted to you and to me. Otherwise, if I don't embrace this and you don't embrace this, this is what it looks like. Go, 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 go. There is no stop. And understand, one of the difficulties that some of you have, that I have, is, truth be told, as I play this day out, 50% of the time, it works. Like, one of the reasons it struggles for me is because 
my day of rest and my family's day of rest, because of what I do, is different. Not only that, but my day of rest and majority of this room's day of rest is different. My day of rest and the rest of the world's day of rest is completely different. But understand, this is a gift from God. God designed a day of rest to replenish a week of work. And for those in this room that make it your job, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to pour yourself out at home, at work, friends, understand you have to make time to fill yourself up. Because again and again and again, more and more and more, over and over and over, it takes its toll. So God has gifted us, number one, a day of rest. But gift number two, people of rest. I mean, you think about it. This is people, your people, that bring you lift. They don't pull you down. This is your people that bring you up, and they're, they're refreshing So you think about these gifts. There aren't just days of rest. According to God, there are people of rest. In the Old Testament, one of the most disrupting stories is centered around King David. At the end of his reign, he's dealing with a coup attempt. The potential new leader is shifting the hearts of the people toward himself and away from David. Even more tragic, this potential new leader is David's own son, Absalom. David's on the run. Absalom has threatened his life. David takes family and friends, and they are now royal refugees. They didn't even have time to pack. They're trying to get as far away as possible, as fast as possible. They are desperate. They are tired. They are scared. They are hungry. They are thirsty. It had to be one of the lowest moments in David's life. But three friends show up. And I bet no one in this room really knows their names. Let's look at them. Shobi, Machir, Barzillai. These guys show up right after David gets to his hideaway. They show up there and they bring David and the family and friends groceries. Listen to this. 2 Samuel 17, verse 28. They also brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey and curd, sheep and cheese from cow's milk. For David and his people to eat. And there's something about that verse that ought to encourage everyone in this room in a deep space. I pray that you got friends like this. You heard the guys talking about this emphasis on groups. Many have taken a break and it's good to take a break, but it is time to get back. To surround yourself with people like David's friend that say, you know what? We found you. And not only we found you, you are not alone. And they bring David lift. It's people of rest. The verse above that one, it's pretty cool because these same people bring David bedding and bowls. It's because they left dirty. They left without any laundry or bedding. And these guys have have showed up and they're like, we know you had no time to pack. Here we are. And we got you. Understand that we all need people of rest. God gifts us people that that bring us lift. I can't tell you the number of people that bring me lift. Many of you are in this room. The fascinating thing kind of about how I'm wired, majority of the people that bring me lift are much older than me. It's just been that way for a long time. It's who I spend a lot of my life with. But, but people that bring us lift aren't just older than us. They're younger than us. Friday, I spent time pouring into a guy that's much younger than me that's making some big decisions. Uh, people that are our same age, people that have similar interests, 
Perhaps people that are nothing like us that still bring us lift. Understand that, that God has gifted us with people like that that we intentionally must put in our schedule as priority because it's a gift of God. And the truth is, sometimes we're all drained. The truth is, we're sometimes tired of people. And if we're not careful, we can distance ourselves further from the people that we need most. Uh, perhaps you're a social worker. Perhaps you're a teacher. Perhaps you do something and you're all the time around people. People will wear you out. But it is not always wise to go home, shut the blinds, turn off the lights, turn the fan on, and to binge a show or to scroll on the phone. Because if we do, we miss one of the gifts from God that helps us to finish well. When you're exhausted, when you're empty, make sure you're making time for the people that bring you lift. And by the way, I want to make a statement on this. If your friend group, the people you're around, has a disposition toward criticism, toward anger, toward gossip, I would suggest you make time for a new friend group. Proverbs says, he that walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I'm going to tell you, if that's your company, it's not going to fill you up. It's just going to drain you more. So to keep us filled, to give us rest for the souls, God has gifted us, number one, a day of rest. Number two, people of rest. Number three, the God of rest. Understand it's God himself, the person of Jesus. I want you to consider this. Right in the busy time of Jesus' ministry, he's with the disciples. It's nonstop busyness. There's demands. There's deadlines. There's needs. There's urgency. There's emergency. In the Gospel of Mark, in the context of this passage of Scripture, Jesus looks to the disciples and he says, hey, guys, time out. Listen to this, Mark 6, verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And what? And get some rest. That is an invitation given to every person in this room, every day from God himself, from Jesus. Come to me by yourself. In a quiet place. The goal? To get some rest. Let those words sink in. Because it is the gift of God himself. It doesn't stop there. Let's look at Matthew. As Matthew is paying close attention to Jesus. And Matthew's taking notes to what Jesus is teaching. Matthew 11. He jots down. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Good news. Qualification for coming to Jesus, be really, really tired. I'm telling you, one of the gifts that he's given is not just days of rest and people of rest, but it's the God of rest. Some of you in this room are empty. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're drained. You've been searching for this, but you found nothing. Come to Jesus. Some of you in this room, most of you in this room perhaps have found that rest in the person of Jesus. But I am burdened for those of you that haven't. You're tired at marriage. You're tired at home. You are exhausted and drained at work because you're trying everything other than Jesus. I'm praying for you and I'm begging you. 
And we want to encourage you to make the person of Jesus your rest. We talk about pouring ourselves out for others. I want you to really think about who poured themselves out for others, for all mankind. This image. I mean, that's the most extreme act of someone pouring themselves out for the well-being of others. And Jesus himself would summarize his motives for why he did this. Listen to this. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's why he poured himself out. So when you think if that's the case on why he did it, think about why you and I have tendencies to pour ourselves out apart from Jesus. Sometimes we pour ourselves out to try to prove a point. Sometimes we have a a plan to pour ourselves out to prove our value. Sometimes we do it to uh, get a promotion. Sometimes we do it to get noticed. Sometimes we do it to get rewarded. Sometimes we do it to get recognized. But understand, all of those things that we do it for, Jesus himself gave us that in himself. It's the gift of himself, the God of rest. Meaning, Jesus gave his life for me in order to give his life to me. And this is how it plays out for people that are tired, for people that have come apart. This is what it looks like to go all in. So the gifts that he's given. For those that want to make it and continue to give their best, the same place, the same people, doing the same thing again and again and again and again, over and over and over, he's gifted us. A day of rest. People of rest. And the God of rest. Before we close, I want to give a word of caution. This might disrupt some of you. Some of you might get angry. It's all right. Okay? Pay close attention to this statement. We live in a time when there's a longing for more leisure and less rest. By that, I want to define this. Leisure is simply free time. There's a longing for free time. But rest is defined this way. It's an act of faith to set aside a full day every week to stop, to cease, to put the sickle down, to delight in the things of God and to worship, to do whatever it takes that God has gifted you to recognize that gift, to be filled. And these are the results of rest. Ready? Rest gives you margin as opposed to busyness. Slowness instead of hurry. Quiet instead of all the noise. Delight instead of distraction. Enjoyment instead of envy. Gratitude, not greed. Rest brings contentment as opposed to discontentment. Rest causes us to work from love. As opposed to working for it, rest brings peace. As opposed to anxiety. And as I told you all those things earlier that I do to find rest, I intentionally left one thing out. I didn't mention one of these. I like it. I capture memories with it. It's informative. I like to scroll at night with the family. We all gather around and, sh- and watch and laugh till it hurts. Some of our favorite videos. But by and large, that device has contributed itself totally and completely against rest. 
I've learned in the month away that it is good to remind yourself and your phone. You got to say it this week. You are my servant. I am not your slave. It will destroy the soul. I believe we are rapidly approaching a point in our society and culture where there are people that are less and less capable of face-to-face conversations because we're so active with our thumbs. There is nothing on that phone to foster deep, meaningful relationships with people. The device that was designed for connection has now been leveraged to accomplish superficial and shallow connection. One of the books that I read, I read several on my break, but one of them is called Deep Work, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. I'll save you some time. The first part of the book is academic. Don't read it. Second part is very practical. I would encourage you to read the practical part of the book. One of the lessons that I've learned in this book is rather, rather than scheduling times to put the phone down, I am now scheduling time to pick the phone up. It's different. But if I'm not careful, one of the greatest enemies to rest is in my hand 24-7. I had to be reminded of this. That it is an enemy to anything good that's taking place in my life that God is at work on. Now, yes, it could be leveraged for good, but it is such a distraction. I was reminded of that on this past month, but I was also reminded if I'm going to make it by giving my best again and again and again, over and over and over. I've got to embrace the gifts that he's given me to the best of my abilities to take and to make sure I have a day of rest, that I'm surrounded by people of rest, a group that pours into me, a group that says you're not alone, a group that says we're here, a group that prays with me, a group that prays for me. And I have to be reminded to consistently come with him by myself to a quiet place to find rest because he's gifted me with the God of rest. Let me tell you why this is so important to me, just practical. I'm a little worried. I'm a little scared that if I'm not careful at embracing these three gifts, I'm going to hear statements like this. Well, he pastors a great church, but he's not a great dad. I'm scared that I'd hear, he's a good teacher, but he's not a kind person. I'm worried that I might hear, he makes some great decisions, but he's not his wife's best friend. I'm worried that people might think, he's obviously called to ministry, he just doesn't like people. I'm worried to think he loves Jesus, but I don't think Tim enjoys life. Those statements will be said about anyone. It's empty. It's poured themselves out. That doesn't know how to fill themselves back up. But God himself has gifted us. He's gifted us, all of us in this room, with three things. I'm telling you, a day of rest. You've got it. I've got it. What's it going to take for you to set it aside? And I know it stinks, but it may not match your spouses. It may not match the kids. Maybe if it, if it does in this room, you're blessed. But do whatever it takes to make sure that day of rest is a day that you're getting filled. Not just doing different to-do lists. A day that you are actually 
delighting the presence of God, worshiping the presence of God, enjoying His presence. By all means, if you want to make it the long haul to last, you better have people of rest. We've said it, you've got a chance to to be here on, on Wednesday to find a group, to get a new group, to go back to the old group, whatever it is, you need people of rest. And then I remind you about God himself. Because as we close, I want you to dwell on this verse one more time. Jesus said, come to me. And this might describe you. All of you who are weary and burdened. And I, God himself, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Could I get you to close your eyes and to think with me for a second? I'm going to ask a question. No need to raise hands. Is anyone exhausted? Marriage? At home? Work? Because of something you're enslaved to. You're just tired. Tired of trying. If any of you are really exhausted, guess what? You meet the requirements to come to Jesus. Come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened. And I'll give you rest. Practically today, whether it's during this song or at the end of the service, There's a chance for some of you in this room to take some steps. One is to find Jesus himself. Sometime in the song or perhaps after the song, you can go to the front right of the room or you can go to the foyer area, look at next steps and talk to somebody about finding what it looks like to trust God for rest. But also, a great step that you can take today is to find out about a group to surround yourself with people of rest. What I want to do today, I asked Jonathan to do this because as I was gone for an entire month, there was one song that sealed the month for me. I listened to it again and again and again. Started the month with it. Picked up in the middle of the month with it. It's been on repeat. And I thought it only fair for Jonathan to sing this on behalf of all of us in this room and our need for Jesus when it comes to rest. So as you sit there, just pay close attention to the words. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to sing. You probably don't know it. But let these words, let let these words bring you left. Father, I want to thank you for today. I thank you for a day that we can talk about being tired, exhausted, drained. And we can be reminded to fill back up. God, I thank you for the gifts that you've given to help us to make it. You've given us a day of rest. You've given us people of rest. And you've given us yourself, the God of rest. I pray for the marriages and the homes and the leaders, the volunteers in this room. Give them the strength. Give them the rest to make it, to finish well, to continue to go to the same places, the same people, and do the same things again and again and again because it might be the greatest impact. But let them know that it can also lead to exhaustion. And we all need a pattern to fill ourselves back up. Use this song to encourage us. 
In Jesus' name I pray.